Hello, and welcome to Relevate Presents Scholar's Ship, the podcast where we use real research to analyze, scrutinize, and humanize your favorite TV and movie couples. I'm your host, Eric Goodcase. Hey everyone, welcome back to Relevate Presents Scholarship. We have a very special episode for you today because we have not one but two guests for you. Uh, first guest is a, uh, oh, I forgot to look up your title, uh, Associate Dean of Student Affairs. Is that right? Associate Dean of Student Affairs and Program Services. Oh, nice. Technically what it, what it is. <laughs> gotcha. Technically what it is. Gotcha. Basically. I handle the student side of the experience in the College of Education. Oh, very cool. Uh, and that voice is Dr. Nicholas Jordan. Thank you for thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And our second guest is a familiar guest uh, with a not-so-familiar title in front of his name. So <laughs> we have the newly Dr. Denzel Jones. Denzel, thanks yeah. for coming back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I appreciate it being on. How's it feel? It's a... Uh... It's, it's still it's still kind of settling in. It's very uh, sometimes my head gets a little big, and then sometimes I bought <laughs> down really quickly. So it's still pretty much a roller coaster where I'm at right now, just trying to make sense of it all and wrap my head around what it really means and yeah. making something out of it. But it's cool. I like it. All right, I, I can get used to it. All right, as long as you're not uh, too grown up with the doctor title, not to talk Nickelodeon in the future. <laughs> I'm a little grownish, but <laughs> grownish, nice. <laughs> See what I did there? Nice, that's beautiful. <laughs> so, uh, if you haven't read the title already, we're going to be talking about the uh, sitcom Blackish today. Uh, but before we get into that, I wanted to give uh, Dr. Jordan. I'll give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, your research uh, and clinical interest, just kind of the things that you're doing uh, in that part of your life. All right. Um, so I'm a marriage and family therapist. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, by training, my research interests revolve um, primarily around online relationships created, maintained, and terminated in the online space, and that's through social media and through um, online video games. But where my career has taken me and kind of just my responsibility existing in this world as black and male, I am um, I have been drawn to and 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 kind of. I wouldn't say push to, but encouraged to be a part of, um, you know, issues of, you know, conversations and work and research and, um, you know, therapy, things like that, like just around multiculturalism, just around um, issues of context, race, class, gender, sexual orientation, religion, things like that. So I've been pushed in that direction and, and drawn in that direction, you know, even though, you know, I'm a large child and I spend most of my time playing video games. <laughs> right. you know? uh, but but that is that's pretty much what I do research wise. Yeah, and I think that it's important to note that even though we as researchers have lots of very serious interests, we also have very potentially childish interests as well. I think we all do at some level. I have yeah. no serious interests. <laughs> Fair enough. No serious interests. And also if it were up to yeah, I'd just be playing video games. I, mean, I kid you not. Like, I wouldn't be doing anything useful for the academy or anything like that. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I will say that one of the things that I've appreciated and, uh, you know, just coming up behind you, kind of following your footsteps and watching you do the research that you do is just learning how to take that thing that you're so passionate about and, like, not lose that in your role as a professor and, like, mm -hmm. still integrate that, integrating yourself into the work that you do. And so 
that's something that uh, that I've always admired from afar. I may not have ever came out and said that, but it's pretty cool to watch and witness. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Yeah. How do you keep that passion burning? How do I keep that passion burning, man? You know, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I have, um, you know, so much in terms of passion around like my research interests, things like that, like so around video games and, and, and doing that kind of work. For me, it's just, I, I just, it's always what I've done. And, and, you know, it's always been something that's just kind of been in me. Um, you know, a lot of people look at me like I'm crazy. You know, how are you, you know, 38 years old? You are a father. How are you still doing this so seriously? And I, you know, I look back at him like, you're just mad. You know, you're just <laughs> mad that I get to have fun and you don't. And so, for, so I don't know. It's just in me. As far as the um, issues of context, multiculturalism, things like that. Um, it's, it's honestly, honestly, if I, I wouldn't do it if I didn't have to. I wouldn't do it. But I'm usually the only person out there screaming and, you know, in the circles that I run in. So, I mean, I got to, I got no choice. I'm, you know, it is, it's me. I got to stand in that gap. I got to be the one to do it. So I do it. For sure. We appreciate that. Absolutely. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And um, Dr. Jordan, you also have a podcast of your own. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. I have a podcast. What's your truth. It comes out of Appalachian state university. Um, We are, Basically, the whole point of the show is trying to find people's truth and how they, you know, and how they see the world. What are the things we really believe in, and what are the things we're just we are? What are the things that are fungible in our lives? Um, you know, for me, I'm very much so a person that I have very few beliefs, and people think that you know, hey, or at least I often get the uh, people argue with me and say, oh, that just you don't you don't stand for anything because you have so few beliefs. But when you hear me talk. You know, I'll argue about anything and for anything and against anything with absolutely, it'll sound like I have absolute certainty, but I don't, I don't. And so what matters to me is finding those things that I, that I really can latch on to because I have so few of them. So I go out and talk to interesting people and see if they can kind of co-opt me into their truth. And that's the whole show. Very cool. Very cool. And I uh, actually did give your podcast listen um, a while ago now. Uh, it was you and another student talking about your experience with your fathers. And it was really, it was, uh, it was very like interesting. It was very moving. It was great. I, I said, anyone, if you're listening to this, check it out. It was very good. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So before we get into blackish, um, we're actually completely by coincidence. And I mean that completely seriously. Usually I'm not serious this time. I mean, serious, completely by coincidence. We're recording our blackish podcast on Juneteenth. Um, there's a special Juneteenth episode of Blackish, um, so just I wanted to take this opportunity um, to learn more about Juneteenth because I actually didn't know very much about it at all. For sure. um, so Denzel, if you want to take it away, and for sure, and I'll uh, I'll definitely say I'm not gonna get on this microphone and put it on wax and pretend like I know everything <laughs> that there oh. is to know about Juneteenth. And yes. So like. <laughs> I'm not a mouthpiece for the whole community and what we know about black culture and what blackness is. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Jordan, as I'm just kind of going through, if you have anything you want to add, uh, people at home in the cars listening, if you have any expert advice, expert knowledge, feel free to chime in, get up with us. 
tweet us where at we missed the podcast or email us at relevatepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, there. Go there. Just kind of uh, educate us a little bit. We we know things. We don't know everything. So be willing to help out. Mm-hmm. But in uh, talking about Juneteenth, when we really think about it, we kind of have to go back to January 1st of 1863. When we think about when the Emancipation Proclamation uh, first became effective. And so President Abraham Lincoln issued this Emancipation uh, Proclamation, and basically what it did is declared that all slaves were free. And so it's important to note that during the um, Emancipation Proclamation, when this was issued and, and when it took effect, it was during the Civil War. And so because of this, planters and slaveholders migrated to Texas in order to um, them and their slaves, they took their slaves to escape the fighting that was going on during this war. And so when we think about Texas, it's more uh, just geographically isolated from just some of the more prominent battlegrounds, uh, some of the more prominent battleground states where they were having this war. And so the slaves of Texas were not freed by the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, A lot of these slaves didn't know about what was going on. They didn't hear about General Robert E. Lee surrendering. They didn't know anything about the Emancipation Proclamation. All this news just moved very slowly. And so on June 18th, 1965, the Union General, Gordon Granger, he went out to Texas, and on the following day of June 19th, he read out the General Order Number 3, which announced a total emancipation for all of the slaves. And so during that time, around 1865, in Texas, they were estimated to be about 250,000 slaves. Wow. And after this announcement, the newly freed slaves just rejoiced in the streets. They were finally free and they were happy to hear that this great news had come about. And so then that following year, the newly freed men organized the first celebration of Juneteenth in Texas. And so today, uh, Juneteenth, which is just a portmanteau of June and 19th, it is celebrated on June 19th as just another Independence Day or a day of freedom. And so within our local communities, just a lot of communities hold different types of celebrations where people come together and fellowship, um, sharing food, barbecue, just traditional modern black arts, music, dancing, uh, games and other events. And just just a sharing of the history of what Juneteenth is. And so with that said, I will also say that personal opinion Juneteenth is still not something that's very much talked about. Not a lot of people still know about it. Um, and so this is something that I just hope to continue to see just kind of catch traction, something that's continued to, uh, be talked about more and continue to be celebrated more. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as Juneteenth, that's the knowledge that I know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan, I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add. No, you covered. Yeah. You covered. Yeah. I do like to think about it as a, as a black independence day. Yeah. Proud, and when I think about it like that, you know, kind of makes, you know, getting on the grill even more fun. Yeah. In that kind of moment. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. For Being sure. foolish. I love it. <laughs> yep. I love it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, in the episode on Blackish, Dre mentions, uh, like, calls it Independence Day or makes some reference to Independence Day. And I was like, that connection was not something I had made in my mind before. And I was just like, that's that's a really cool way to think about it. So, For yeah. sure. And I think, uh, and so I know even for me, Juneteenth is something that, I recently found out myself. And when I say recently, I mean within the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And it just, so I guess a uh, quick segue. So I grew up in the South. 
uh, fourth grade, learning about state history in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we learned about all the slavery and the indentured servantry and all of that stuff that goes on. And this is where we really see just how big of a thing miseducation really is, because it wasn't until I was in my, um, you know, just emerging adulthood ages where I even learned that Juneteenth was even a thing, let alone yeah. what it was and what it meant or what it represented. And so, yeah, miseducation is super huge. So it's important yeah. for us to just uh, continue to share our knowledge with each other and what mm-hmm. we know about different cultural pieces and different cultural aspects, because not pointing any fingers at any particular teachers, but the system as a whole is just rigged. Absolutely. Itself. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. It's not. And when you say miseducation, I'm, you, it, it sounds benign. It sounds benign, but I'm not going to call that miseducation. I think that is a, it is. What would you call it? Uh, that is intentional malpractice is what I would call that. Like I, I, I don't miseducation is that's a mistake. That's an error. That oops, you know, we forgot to include that in today's lesson. Nah, bruh. For sure. That is intentional malpractice. I can get behind that. Intentional systemic malpractice. But have you have you coined that term? Because I think that's uh, (laughs) a seriously, Uh, I can I can can get behind that. That's uh, I I can get behind that. It's just right here, first time, right here. (laughs) Okay. You heard it first right here. (laughs) You heard it first. Intentional systemic what was it again? Malpractice. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Get it in a book chapter, man. Show no. Show no. That's a whole book. Show no. It is. Like, it's, yeah. it's one of those things, though. It's one of those things where we kind of, we speak about it, though, sometimes in a benign way. Like, it's a, oh, it's an accident. That's not an accident that we, you know, we don't know that or that you only recently came across. That. That's not an accident. For sure. That is not an accident. For sure. That says a lot, too, if we think about um, in that episode, the amount of pushback Dre was getting in terms of just like talking about it or celebrating it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the points they were making, I think, ring true in terms of like a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about slavery. A lot of white people are uncomfortable thinking about the fact that it happened or having to kind of like confront the fact that that's part of our history. Sure. Um, and to... I, I don't have another. I don't really have another thought on that. It's just it was really interesting to see the pushback from everyone when Dre brought it up as like. A oh yeah, everybody like wants talk to talk about. about it. Oh, it's in the past. Why? Yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, thank I'm you. Still yeah. growing on this. Yeah, it's in the past. <laughs> I mean, and and meanwhile, you know, we live in the past. You know, we're going back to the past in terms of making America great again mm-hmm. and shit like that. We live in the past in terms of, um, you know, we celebrate Independence Day. We celebrate. You know, all sorts of things that happened in the past. But no, 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 no. When we talk with, for this, we can't think about the past. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 If we're not going to live in the past, why bother having any holidays at all? I, yeah, it's, it, it, is, mm. it, it comes back to we just don't want to acknowledge those pieces. 100%. Those painful pieces. For sure. You know, we don't, we don't have to look those things in the face. For sure. It's like, oh, this is a part of our history. This is where, this is kind of, you know, where we've come from. And then if we do that by extension, we don't want to have to talk about, hey, you know, perhaps some of that is why we're here where we are today. Now, that that's yeah. definitely a conversation we don't want to have. For sure. For sure. So what would you suggest, and this question is for both of you, whoever wants to answer, um, in terms of persons listening to this podcast right now, um, 
maybe never heard of Juneteenth or maybe has heard of it, but wants to make it a more part of their lives, what would kind of be, um, I don't know, a suggestion or kind of a, uh, a way of kind of changing the way the, uh, the world views it right now, or, or even just a way to celebrate it in the future. Go for it, Denzel. <laughs> Yeah, put me on spot here. Uh, so I would say, Dr. Jones. <laughs> Dr. Jones. So I would say, uh, and not just specifically like with the holiday of Juneteenth, but mm-hmm. just Black culture in general. I would say, don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't be afraid to ask. I think one of the most uh, one of the conver- one type of conversations that I have the most unease about is when I can tell that people genuinely want to know more. Mm-hmm but they're tiptoeing around subjects or they're afraid to say this or afraid to say that. Absolutely. I'm like, let's be raw with each other. Say what you have to say. Like, mm-hmm. I want to make that comfortable space. So if you mess up and say something wrong, like we can correct that here. Like I'm comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. I want you to be comfortable and maybe not comfortable. Comfortable is not the right word because it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. Right. But I want this to be a space to where we can just be raw and vulnerable with each other and have that. Mm-hmm. I don't want you uh to you know, feel like you have to tiptoe or that you're gonna offend me or whatever the case may be. So I just think uh, having conversations about personal experiences can be powerful. Absolutely. Although it is good to do your own research, it is good to find other media outlets. I think just having those genuine conversations with people can be helpful. Absolutely. And is your question talking about white people? Uh, white people, black people, uh, other general. cultures. I think. Probably want to talk about that in terms of both. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm going to talk about white people. So um, I would say white folks want to know more about, you know, if, if you want to figure out a way to kind of engage Juneteenth in a, in a particular way, go pick up a book uh, by Tim Wise called White Like Me and read that book. After you read that book, go talk to another white person about race. That is the perfect, the perfect way <laughs> to engage Juneteenth. To celebrate Juneteenth, practice talking about race with white people, not with your pe- you know person of color okay. friends, not them. Talk to the white folks about race. Have those conversations, and that to me would be proper celebration. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and read the yeah. book. Yeah, white like me, seriously. <laughs> yeah, learn about privilege, power, oppression, sure. all those things, and go talk to white people. And to add to that, to add to that. I think one of the most dangerous things that we could possibly do, white, black, other, whatever the case may be, is a little bit of information is the most dangerous piece of information that you could have. Mm-hmm. So when you're educating yourself, don't read one, two, three lines. I'll read the beginning of the paragraph, the end of the paragraph. I'll see what they're talking about on the news. Get the full picture. Make mm-hmm. your Formulate your own ideas based off of an educated stance. Yeah. So that little bit of information can hurt. Absolutely. There's so much misrepresentation of different ideas out there. And if you were to just type in something like white privilege into Google and just read what you find, you would have a very different idea of what that means than what was intended. And I think based on at least what I've seen at this point, when there's backlash against terms like that, it's just a complete misunderstanding of the idea. So I think it's really important to kind of like what you're saying, not just read a line here or there, not just like, even not just read one thing, but to really kind of like immerse yourself in what's out there and be able to make an opinion of your own out of the different information that's out there. 
And I'll echo that. I think that's really important, you know, immersing yourself. I think um, talking to people who know about, you know, who are experts in power, privilege, oppression, Mm -hmm. those types of things, race, class, gender, sexual orientation, talking to those folks who are actual experts in those fields and in that kind of uh, understanding, I think, is important. Um, I also think that we fall into the trap that because we have a race or because we have a gender or because we have a sexual orientation that somehow qualifies us and um, makes us an expert in speaking about those things. Yep. And so so I, so because I had that and I have an experience around race, somehow I don't need to do any more reading. I don't need to do any any you know kind of investigation. I can just kind of talk about it, and that's some bullshit. Exactly. Like, no, 100%. we need to be, we have to be, um, we have to engage people who know about these things, hear these things, and understand these things. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You can't, I think I've heard a lot, and I had a friend who had a, a really rough occurrence with this where she was talking about privilege, and the person said, well, you know, like, I didn't have an easy life. You're trying to say I was privileged, and it's like, that's, you're not getting the whole point of just because you are white doesn't mean you understand the idea of white privilege just because you are black doesn't mean you understand everything around, you know, what uh, oppression and being black means as well. For sure. Uh, yeah. I, I, I get caught in those conversations all the time where, <laughs> you know, well, I didn't grow up with it. I didn't grow, I didn't have it easy. When I, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. That's yeah. not what I'm saying, you know, but, but it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to, um, and, and talk about this all the time in classes and presentations and things like that, um, in uh, manuscripts that are written and all over the place. But, you know, when we are, when we are in a privileged position and, you know, I'm thinking about me around, you know, gender or someone else, a white person around race, as soon as someone starts talking to us about our privilege, we then, we can't sit in that. We then want to respond from our subjugated self, yeah. which is you know, yeah. part of us that may have been poor or the part of us like the part of me that is black. You know, I can't, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to sit in that space just as a male and acknowledge that because my blackness has been such a major factor. When we are, yeah. when we're, we, we respond from those areas of, well, those areas of subjugation. We don't want to, we don't want to sit in that privilege. We don't want to do that. You know, and just because, just because I am black, just because I exist in this world as black, I exist in this world as black and male. And that maleness carries with it a lot of privileges that people just don't want to, like it's diff- It's difficult for me to swallow and be black at the same time, if that makes any sense. Sure. Absolutely, yeah. Look at you tossing around that postmodern narrative, <laughs> subjugated <laughs> languages. <laughs> and... <laughs> turn over. Love it. Turn over. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I do a lot. Focus on that. I got you. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> uh, do we want to? Do you have any any additional thoughts? Do you want to add, or do we want to go into the show a little bit? I'm good. I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about um, each of our kind of relationship with the show. We'll start, uh, Jordan, with you in terms of talking about uh, when you started watching the show, uh, what kind of connected you to it, what made you kind of. Uh, what kind of made you get into it in the first place? So, so for me, I started watching the show in the very beginning. I mean, you know, here was this black family, you know, who was a mess like every other family. But, you know, they're, they're, they're just regular old black folk 
you know, both of them got, you know, they got good jobs, kids go to school, you know, stuff like it's it's just regular black people. And I like that. And they were funny. And so I thought of it, you know, I, I was drawn to it because it was like I could latch on to it and replace, you know, replace that with the, you know, like replace the Cosbys with Blackish. So that really was what it was for me. It really yeah. was. I could love this family and not have to remember the ugly stuff right. from, yeah. uh, you know, Bill Cosby and yeah. all yeah. of that. And it very much kind of mirrors the Cosby show and kind of how it's um, set up and then how they have the spinoff of the oldest daughter going to college too. Yeah. Right. right. So how about you, Denzel? When did you first start getting into the show? Yeah, so for me, so it was a show that I've heard about for a while. And so for me, I'm not really a big TV buff. Don't watch a lot of movies. My attention span is just really low. I've got about a good <laughs> 10 to 15 minutes and I'm just done. But it was something I've been hearing about for a while. been hearing about it. And so whenever uh, whenever we reached out to Jordan, he was like, yeah, let's do Blackish," And I was like, been trying to watch it for a while, so I guess now is a better time than any. I'll sit down and uh, you know just kind of do some homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, first episode, I was hooked. It just kind of yeah. being watched, binge watched through it. Learned a lot. You knocked it out fast. Wrestle, yeah, yeah, I did. yeah man. It was <laughs> it's good stuff. Wrestle, yeah. A lot to wrestle with, so mm-hmm. I won't get too much into that right now. But yeah, it's it's good stuff. Yeah, I uh, it was the same as you. I had heard about it. I'd been like intrigued by it but i don't have cable so i don't like watch shows that are like new often if they're not on netflix i don't usually check it out um but then once we decided we're doing the show i was like you know i'll download the abc app and check this thing out and same thing i was i was hooked immediately there's something about like this show that i really responded to it was um it was funny it was kind of like it it gets you gets you in the feels it like it does a lot of different things that i really like and it just it's just a really fun show to watch and it's quick. It's, and it's not like I kind of expect it to be kind of a typical sitcom and it certainly yeah. has some of those tropes to it. Like, yeah. like there are times where it kind of goes in that road, but it's so different than a typical and, sitcom. You know, mm-hmm. it started out that way. Cause I mm-hmm. really thought it was really, it had those typical sitcom kind of feel to it. Yeah. You yeah. know, a lot of those like on the nose type of uh, <laughs> social observations. It started there. But recently, I thought it's taken a really interesting look at marriage and relationships, which I thought has just been super powerful to see. And again, like to see regular ass black people struggle with regular ass problems. And that for me is so powerful because I see so many images, so many things that say, you know, we're violent, over sexualized, you know, single parent households, you know, 9000 children who don't go to school things like that. Like, that's what I get from media all the time. But in this show, again, regular black people, regular, you know, just re- just doing regular stuff, trying to survive in this regular, you know, regu- just regular black people. And I, I am, it's like I always know that uh, black people brush their teeth and all that stuff. But you see on TV. You see on TV. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, look at us. Look at us. And so it's so refreshing. It's so refreshing. And so to see uh, Bo and Dre, the characters in the show, mm-hmm. go through, you know, marriage problems, typical marriage problems, like it's like, oh, man, look, we got we go through regular shit, too. So I'm so excited for that. So I love that. If you didn't know, you know. Yeah. yeah. People go through regular struggles, too. <laughs> we are regular people. We are regular people just trying to survive, just like y'all. And it's... Just like- 
a credit to the writers and Anthony Anderson and everyone else for how they made that so real. Like we're recording this mm-hmm. right after the fourth season. And when we first started to plan this, like all those kind of like there was marriage stuff before, but like some really intense stuff went down at the end of the fourth season in terms of like their relationship and the way they did it was so like real and way that, you know, as therapists we've seen before. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's just such a credit to everyone who's a part of that show and how like, not just that they're going through regular problems, but they represent it in such a, like a relatable real way too. Yeah. yeah. So I'll start out by saying yeah. uh, just how, so thinking about Dre and Bo as individuals, but then also as a couple, mm-hmm. and then also as the heads of a family. And so for me, in the sense, so uh, so just kind of a brief background, not get too deep into any uh, character development thing. Uh, there are times where uh, Dre, the father, he can become very much um, overly woke, is the way to put it. In the sense of uh, very, 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 very extreme Afrocentric and just um, his ideas and how he pushes that onto other other family members. Mm-hmm. And then with Bo being uh, multiracial and she's more of the, I'm trying to play this logically. I'm trying to play this really even-headedly. I'm trying to like to protect our family. Uh, so I can think about me as a single black male, single individual. And uh, so for those listening, you happen to be interested, Eric? What's our email? <laughs> what's the email? Uh, Relevate podcast. Relevate podcast at gmail.com. Gmail. Gmail. <laughs> Single That's black Dr. Male. Denzel Jones. Dr. Denzel Jones, 27 years old. But uh, but I digress. I'm just gonna say one more time, Dr. Denzel Jones. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress, I digress. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'm thinking about myself and in, in relation to these characters, and I see Drake uh kind of going uh, through these different habits and different behaviors and the struggle that comes along with that. And I'm so, I'm so quick to jump on Team Dre. I'm like, yeah, like, <laughs> tell them like it is. Like, this is a cold, cruel world and like, everyone should know and like, this is how like, things should be done and how things should be handled. And I find myself shooting a lot in that way. And then like, something that this show has helped me to do and helped me to realize is like, as a single black male, like, that's something that, that I can hold on to, whether it's right or it's wrong. It's something that if I wanted to, I could hold on to for the rest of my life. And it wasn't until I just kind of saw the, the dynamics between this couple relationship where I was like, you know, let's say I do decide I want to start dating or I do want to get married. Like, what's that going to look like? Because I know I am very passionate about the subject. I'm very passionate about this topic. Mm-hmm. What, what's it going to look like if I find someone who's also very passionate or someone who's not very passionate? And what are those conversations mm-hmm. going to look like? And how are we going to present ourselves to the world? And then I'm kind of like, man, that's... It's really heavy. That's a lot to think about. But then not only that, as systemic thinkers, and we're thinking about now, what about kids and family? How do we want to raise our kids to be in the world? How do we want to show them and talk about these difficult problems? When is the right age to talk about this? When is not the right age to talk about that? Who should be present for this conversation? And I think whenever I watch this show, in a couple of episodes, I've definitely had these cool down periods where we're like, okay, I know I'm binging. I can't watch anymore right now. Like I have a lot that as I'm sitting through and thinking about my own processes, that it's really like just playing with my head right now. And how do I make sense of all of that? And how, how can I use this as a platform to really see where my values and beliefs are? And so that's, the show has been something that's challenged me in that way, particularly that couple dynamic and that family dynamic. Yeah, for sure. So something I can appreciate. Definitely. I don't know if you had any experiences like that, Jordan, or 
you know, watching this show for me is like, so I really identify with Dre, not I, not because of his, uh, uh, I think because of his beliefs, and though I subscribe to a lot of what he, you know, what he believes, I just, I am, I am ridiculous like that in my relationships. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I really, I, I just love it. I, I love, I love his character. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things I, I really, I really appreciate about the show and I appreciate about um, Bo and Dre's relationship is that they talk about these issues of context like it's a part of their relationship. Yeah. It is not something that is kind of hidden or just comes out in explosions, um, you know, when they're both stressed or, you know, their screws are getting put to them. It is something that is a regular part of their relationship. And I think these conversations in healthy relationships are regular parts of relationships. So, you know, conversation around, you know, race is something that I think should be a regular conversation with all couples is, you know, same yeah. way with, you know, same race couples, you know, um, interracial couples, these kinds of things I think are great for all couples who have conversations about gender should be in all couples, you know, heterosexual, uh, you know, whatever, whatever couples you should, they should, we should be talking about issues of gender. We should be talking about issues of sexuality. We should be talking about issues of, um, socioeconomic status. And that's what I like about the couples that they talk about these things regularly and not only them, but their kids too. Like, so it rubs off on their children and that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So that for me is something that I, 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 I try to subscribe to and, 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 you know, do in my own relationships. Socialization at its finest. Yeah. So what kinds of things, um, would you guys suggest in terms of if a person's listening to this right now and thinking about, okay, how do I make that a part of my relationship right now? Um, we could talk about this in terms of a heterosexual white couple, a gay couple, interracial couple, whatever. How do you, what would be suggestions for like how to start incorporating that in your relationships? You want to take this one first? Yeah. I mean, so how do we start talking about those issues in relationships? Yeah. Um, you know, I, <laughs> we are all bigoted. We're bigoted. We just, ex we exist in this kind of, this soup of a culture that is racist, classist, sexist, homophobic, all those things. We can't help but take these messages on. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you want to start having these conversations in a couple relationship, you start speaking your racism out loud. Start saying it. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, not in a, not in a, you know, like vitriolic way, but drawing attention to, you know, how these things play out. You know, how, so just start talking about it. Just a wow. You know, I, I oftentimes, you know, in my everyday life, will walk down the street and when a racist, a, um, a bigoted thought comes into my head, I won't say racist because, you know, I won't get into the academics of that. But when I have a bigoted thought in my head, you know, I'll say it out loud. Not just because I, I'm, I'm, I want the other person to hear it, I'm trying to start something, yeah. but because I think when I say it out loud, it's the, it sounds stupid. And so I'm like, wow, do you really think that? And so, but it gets me also talking about those things, those real things that exist in my head and exist in the relationships I have. So I would encourage, you know, a, a couple or anybody in a relationship to, if you want to start somewhere, start making fun of your own racist beliefs of your own racist upbringing, start there. And then it'll be easy. Once you, if, once you get that out, it's easy to talk about this stuff. Yeah. 
It, we yeah. all have it. We all have our own prejudice. Oh. We all have our own things that make us tick and turn. So being able to name it, call it out, not hide from it. I can agree with that. Um, I think, uh, so like a lot of that has to be done on an individual level as well. Mm-hmm. I think as far as if we were to talk about talking about this in the couple dynamic, I think when we as therapists, we have our couples, we they come in and we listen to some of the things they talk about. Oh, such and such didn't wash the baby bottles or such and such doesn't take out the trash or such and such never does this. And as we become more, uh, more experienced therapists, more seasoned, we, we start to shift into the process and realize that, you know, this isn't about some baby bottles that didn't get washed. <laughs> There's something deeper here. Right, and so right. um, just as talking about any other more difficult thing to talk about, being able to dig deeper, uh, just being self-analytical, being able to stand naked in front of that mirror, stripped of all your defenses, and like Jordan was saying, just being able to call it out. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's an easy step to start with, uh, but that's that's where I see it starting. You just yeah. got to learn how to uh, how to face it. Yeah, and because I don't want to be the white person asking two black people to talk about race, I'm going to also add uh just in terms of thank you of course that's important yeah absolutely i want to think about like i think about how my own socialization has affected me and my couple relationship and like there are a lot of times like i have a really hard time when i feel like i'm not being listened to Mm -hmm. and that's because i'm a white male and because everyone growing up has probably listened to me on on a different level than people who maybe um are female or black or of a different race or whatever the case may be like when I'm not listened to and that expectation's not being met on a personal level, that really gets to me. And like, it's taken me a long time to like have that conversation with my fiance about like, you know, this is probably like, there's something here about how I socialize and how that's kind of like played out in like why I'm reactive in certain situations or why mm-hmm. I act a certain way. Um, and I think it's important to kind of like just wonder about those things like I don't know that for sure like I've I've not ever been black I've never been a woman I don't know if I would have been listened to differently but just thinking about the context of um what I see around me and kind of applying that to who I am and just kind of like putting that out there wondering like okay how does this influence who I am as a person for sure well, if you were black and or woman you would have been you'd be listened to differently I can right. go ahead for and sure. say that with total confidence for sure. right. total confidence <laughs> For sure, I was pretty sure, but yeah. and, and 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 so with that said, uh, have three educated men sitting on this podcast talking to you, mm-hmm. uh, three different experiences. Not one of the three of us has this whole thing figured out. Uh, it's both a process and a goal, constantly going through it. And so, celebrate your shining moments, but don't stop there. It's something that has to continue to be talked about. Absolutely, and I make mistakes all the time and i think um you know saying those thoughts out loud and then just kind of like seeing how ridiculous they are talking through them or even just kind of like uh, denzel what you're talking about earlier just like having that conversation with someone's like yeah it's an uncomfortable conversation to have but like you know make mistakes happen and just like being able to kind of like talk through that and grow from it is really important and that's how we view all mistakes but like there's a different connotation to talking about things like this real contact whether it's race or gender or whatever the case is um 
So it certainly becomes like uh, difficult to do, but it's so important. Sure. True that. For sure. We got really off rainbow, but for a very good reason. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll yeah, take for it. sure. Yeah, but Dre and Bo, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You guys have anything else you want to add? I was thinking, like, uh, just thinking that? about, like, their kind of social location as well, just in terms of where they're at geographically and probably a predominantly white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, Dre's job is working with mostly uh, white people. The school is mostly white people, and it's just kind of... Um, Except for Charlie, who I love. I love yeah. Charlie. <laughs> Charlie's so funny. <laughs> That dude is funny. Yeah. He, uh, that dude is funny. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's like how much they hate each other. It's hilarious. Yeah, man. <laughs> I was just thinking about like um, identity is such an important part of uh, Dre's life and just thinking about his cultural identity in this context. And um, I was just going to kind of put that out there in terms of like the things we've seen about Dre kind of like finding his identity or kind of developing his identity and his family's identity in this social location. Yes. It makes sense to me that he is as intense as he is about his identities um, because of his location. When we are like if if Dre and if Dre was a black male around other black males and black families and things like that, he wouldn't need to be that. Yeah. He wouldn't need to be that. Like it just it, it would there wouldn't there be conversations he wouldn't need to have. There, you know, it just it's not even there are things that would wouldn't need to even be said. But because, you know, he's by himself and they're by themselves and out on this island alone, they then become more intense. Yeah. They then become more intense. Our identities get more intense when we are separated from those that look like us and behave and think and share a culture that we have. It, it, it makes sense mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. You know, is is insanity. Um, you know, and I, I've noticed that in my own life where, you know, I have, um, you know, been around, been, you know, in predominantly black communities and, and just the how I was then you know, and how I am now, even, and how it has escalated even more as I've become, you know, become an administrator surrounded by, you know, it is just rare to see black people in administration at this university. So, um, you know, and so that identity, those identities, particularly on my blackness, becomes more intense. Yeah. Thank you, Jordan, hit it. Yeah. Uh, and I would say, not to get too far off topic, it's really interesting to see as, uh, you know, Dre goes through those moments, uh, Bo goes through those moments, it's, it's really interesting to see how, like, Dre's parents respond or, like, give advice or how, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, just coming from, I guess, just that that other generation, especially um, Dre's mom, who's, like, super into, like, religion and spirituality, mm-hmm. which is particularly strong in the older Black community. And just seeing how uh, how we have conversations with people who are, you know, who have similar appearances, but maybe slightly different beliefs, and just kind of what those conversations look like, and how uh, again, it's like we're all searching for this right answer or this right way to go about it, right. and we're all just continuing to do the best that we can. So for yeah. some people, is 
you know, let's go pray about it. We're going to pray and it's going to fix everything. And for Dre, it's, I have to be unapologetic, unapologetic in my attitude, in my presentation, in my behavior to make sure that I'm standing firm in my beliefs and getting the point across that I'm, that I'm trying to, uh, to express in a way that people understand and people hear me. Yeah. And so, and I think there'd be a temptation to kind of write Dre as like um, perfect in a sense of like, mm-hmm. so you can kind of like get messages out in a more like coherent, clear manner or whatever sure. you want to say it. But I love that so much of this is about like Dre is kind of an imperfect guy and he's figuring out some of this stuff and it's, it's not easy stuff to figure out. Yeah. And I think Absolutely. like having him kind of go through that process and like us seeing it, and it not just being like, oh, I've achieved this level of identity or something like that. He just kind of like, he, he might kind of go one direction and then come back a different direction. He's still like learning as he's going, which I think is a really right. cool process sure. to watch. For sure. And then you have uh, people like Pops and who, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I wish, Love Pops. whenever I hear Pops, I was like, man, I wish I could do that. He just... Yeah, I would have just went out there and whooped his ass, and I'm like, I wish I, I wish I could do that. I really, some, sometimes I really wish I could do that. And for me, where I'm at in my life, that's probably not the best choice. So, but yeah, yeah. everyone's just trying to find their own their own right, their own truth, yeah. whatever that looks like for them. And yeah, so. and there's no like definition of what being black means or what being white means, and like there never will be. So it's going to be a, it's always a constant thing. And I think it's a really good point that you bring up about like. Um, it being so highlighted when you're the only one of, mm-hmm. of a particular, of, in this case being black or, go ahead. Go back to what you said before about there's no definition of being white and no definition of being black. You think so? In terms of uh, what it means to be a, like identity wise, you know what I mean? Like not just definition like on a page, but uh, definition in terms of like, this is something that is black, like very concretely, like this is a black thing versus this is a white thing. Does that make sense? Uh, it, I hear what you are saying. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure, I'm just trying to work out in my head. Do I, do I cosign with that? You have no, an example or, or a scenario example or? Oh, I'm trying to think of something from his show. What, uh, you go ahead. I, I, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, like, so there is no, there is no definition of, of, there is no way to be white and way to be black. And there is no definition of that. And I don't know, man, it is in my mind to be white is to have privilege, to have, you know, power, to have unearned access to resources that is particularly in this United States sociopolitical context. It is to have those things. Now there are other pieces too, to being white, but I think, um, that is a distinct feature of all whiteness, no matter where, where your whiteness is from. And I'm thinking about being a person of color. A distinct feature of your person of colorness is to be oppressed in this sociopolitical context. It is to be oppressed. It is to not have power. And it is to you know go about in, in this space trying to negotiate not having power with those that do have it. So, so, and, and there, of course, there are other things that go with it, mm-hmm. but I don't know, man. I, I just, I think, no, you're right. I think I can say like that is a distinct feature of whiteness and of being a person of color for all I can. Absolutely. No matter, you know, how much money I have or how little money you have, Eric, it doesn't matter. You still have this thing called whiteness. I still have this thing called blackness. And that has 
though those things have implications that you know are, are, are beyond our control yes and i think that is a universal part of whiteness and blackness and i agree i i think that i definitely correct i was just more thinking along the lines of like kind of um like with uh junior how he kind of like dre tries to get junior to like kind of like be a particular oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. black yeah, that makes sense yeah yes, yes, yes. but you 100 percent. i wasn't thinking about like yes there's no like um if some a, a particular characteristic isn't necessarily always black or always white, but this sure. particular instance, like, sure. uh, in terms of oppression and privilege and how we're treated as people, like it's always going to it's universal based on how we're perceived and how we interact with in different cultures, but still. Yeah, Dre and uh, Dre and Junior be ready to throw them hands sometimes behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I know if Junior was like a, a real life kid, he got to be like fuming in his room, like air, <laughs> like, like air fighting. <laughs> Just, he got to be fuming. You <laughs> want to throw them hands? Got to be. But uh, yeah, because again, those conversations they are difficult, mm-hmm. and have to wrestle with them a lot, and. Whether I agree with how Dre handles a lot of things or I don't agree with how Dre handles a lot of things. It's just an interesting dynamic to watch between all the characters. Yes. But yes. Yeah. You it really makes you stop and question yourself and like your own beliefs and your own behaviors. How even your own ideal view of yourself. And so I think the show did a really good job of just kinda none of the characters are the same. And that's what I really appreciate. We can see yeah. different ways of how blackness or whiteness or other like plays out and that's what i love one of the more recent episodes where uh junior goes to visit howard and he and his uh, dre thinks the the visit was like the most terrible thing in the world and then junior comes back and he was like it was so cool to see like black people disagreeing like different kinds of black people like kind of getting beyond like the idea of like am I quote unquote black enough or any of those kinds of things. But like just seeing like the diversity of what it means to be black as opposed to seeing it as like a blacker than thou type. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if I have anything right now. Maybe I will whenever you guys start talking, Mm -hmm. but thinking about the relationship between uh, pops and what's the pops and Ruby. Mm -hmm. They have a, they had their own stuff. They have a lot of stuff going on with them. And it's a lot there. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think about them? Go for it, Eric. Uh, Pops and Ruby. Um, they're really interesting, too, because they have lots of kind of like uh, little moments as well where you can see that they were caring for each other in, in some way. Maybe maybe that's not the best word <laughs> considering some of their history, but like, yes, they're very volatile, but there's something there. And, I, it, sound, and it could be just like the bond of family or the bond of like, this is a person I love for so long, but like they have lots of little moments in between all their uh, kind of uh, scuffles or jokes about uh, blowing up his boat or whatever the case is. Yeah. I like them a lot. I like their, they in a weird way remind me of my mom and dad (laughs) where, you know, they were together for a long time, um, you know, fought like animals then hated each other for a while, but then kind of circled back and became, you know, had a functioning relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not, you know, they're, I would call Pops and Ruby, you know, friends, 
Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're actual friends now. And I, yeah. you know, I would call my mom and my dad when he was alive, like I would call them friends, you know, and coming from that really difficult time. Like, it's really cool to see that, you know, you can get to that in that relationship. And that, in my mind, gives a lot, I thought it's hopeful or it, it, it could be seen as hopeful for couples who are separating and even, um, you know, kids, you know, who are older children, perhaps seeing this type of relationship, seeing this kind of doubling back um, that Pops and Ruby are doing, that perhaps, you know, there's hope for every relationship, no matter how awful it is, that maybe they can find some kind of equilibrium, some kind of, you know... For sure. Connection that, you know, someday, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's so difficult to do, yeah. And thinking back even to, uh, I think one instance stands out can't remember the exact details of the episode, but they were trying to uh, they were trying to get to a restaurant or they were trying to get parking or something, and somebody cut them in the line, mm-hmm. and uh, Dre <laughs> and Dre was kind of uh, you know trying to kind of beat around it like oh you know we're just waiting all right I'm not saying thing and then uh, pops went and stepped out and he was like hey young blood like you know you're not going just come in here and like skip my family da 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 right right so you know he like just told told like it was and then to see. Uh, you know, Ruby kind of gravitate towards that. And it's just cool to see how, like, as much as like, they get on each other's nerves and, like, they would destroy each other's property or, like, take sly mm-hmm. digs at each other, like, they wouldn't let some outside force come between whatever it is that they have. And I mm-hmm. think that's something that could be powerful, yeah, too. Yeah, that's so. huge. And they both live with Dre and Bo. Like, they both live there. Yeah. So, I mean, how cool is that? Like, they live, in the, you know, under the same roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she still brings him a plate on Easter. Yeah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, like you were saying, there's a, however it may look, there's there's hope for a lot of different relationships that may seem hopeless. And it's easy to say that right now, sitting in the space that I am, like not being in that situation. But just like you were saying, Jordan, from personal experience and kind of being the, uh, the kid in that situation and seeing that happen with your own eyes. I think you could speak a little bit more to that than I can of like just what that looks like and how that could look and just all those different aspects and avenues of, of that being a thing. Right, so, right. Where I'm at now, I couldn't say that I could successfully pull that off, but never know. <laughs> and in the future, if that were to be the case, maybe I could. We'll <laughs> hopefully not see, but... <laughs> <laughs> We would like to interrupt your current listening experience to introduce you to another podcast you might like. I'm Elisa Lucas from Best Forevers, a podcast for kindred spirits. I'd like to start a movement where we spend more time loving on our friends because although friends are important to us, they're often in the shadow of other relationships. So if you want to love on your friendships a little bit more, embrace friendship a little bit more, or just appreciate your friendships a little bit more, then this podcast is for you. We'll explore all the different ways friendships take place, share the amazing stories of friendship, and discuss best practices for the difficulties that friends may experience. It's time to embrace friendships because without our friends, who would we be? So check out Best Forever's on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the other podcasting listening venues. And be sure to follow Best Forever's pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
So what about, uh, I guess when we think about Blackish, Jordan, you already started talking about this a little bit with the, when you we were talking about the Cosbys a little bit earlier and how we think about uh, the Cosbys, the Jeffersons, uh, Good Times, Fresh Prince. Kind of how do you see this sitcom, uh, this TV series kind of fitting into the mold of Black media or maybe not fitting into the mold of, I guess, traditional Black media, Black sitcoms? Question for Eric, too. So... At least for me, I see this show like so it doesn't fit the mold in that the cast, you know, it's primarily black. Like you know, there's been this push in Hollywood, you know, around you know having more people of color. We see it in movies, like you know, we see it in movies, we see it in TV shows. Having more people of color, um, more um, LGBTQIA folks. Uh, more women, more women stars. And we see this more and more less stereotypical, um, you know, behavior and those tropes that Eric was talking about before is less that. Um, and so I think in a way it's, it's a step forward. I think it's a step forward in media in general, you know, and the fact that it's, it's kind of attained this um, broad appeal is really cool. And broad appeal, not just, because it's, you know, like I say, regular black people on the screen, but it is, you know, black people talking about black issues, which yeah. is huge because, you know, the Cosby's didn't talk, they rarely did they bring up black issues. Mm-hmm. You know sure. what I mean? So, but this show is, it started like the entire first season, I think, was mm-hmm. just about black stuff. From the pilot. Somehow, From the pilot. <laughs> I know, right? Somehow it managed to stay on TV. Yeah. And so, so I think in that way, it's a big step forward. Yeah. A big step forward. I mean, sure, it's got its problematic pieces, lots of discussing gender stuff that happens in it. But yeah. I think, you know, where it fits when you look at the history of, you know, black people on television, black families on television, it's definitely a step forward. For sure. And I think it's cool how many, like, what you're saying, how many, like, kind of, like, black culture-centric shows, movies are out there and that are mainstream. Like, um... Uh, Black Panther was huge and there when that was like meant to that wasn't just like about a black superhero that was about African culture like black culture like that wasn't just a superhero movie that was something that people could get behind yeah celebrate the success of something yeah it was a cultural event yeah Yeah, exactly like cultural event there are there are um, you know I'd agree with you in that you know there are there are more um, you know, like black centered and, and personal color centered, you know, t- you know, movies and um, television out there now. But I, I would still argue that the vast majority, you know, is not that. And because there, I think it's because there's just a, a little bit more now. It's mm-hmm. kind of our radar is so skewed that when we see it and we notice it, then we're blown away. Like it feels like yeah. a lot more. Absolutely. So speaking, we got a long way to go, but sure. we're, I think we, we could be moving in a, a good direction. For sure. That's a really good point, because if you go from like one to four, that's a huge yeah. jump. But like if it's in a sea of a thousand, that's, that's nothing. Yeah. No, that, that's huge. That's yeah. definitely huge steps. And my hope is with things like the Me Too movement and how it's mm-hmm. just decimated Hollywood. Yeah. Yep. I hope there's going to be more. Um, you know, just just 
better portrayals of women and LGBTQIA uh, communities, things like that, you know, because, you know, perhaps maybe Hollywood will be a little, get a little better yeah. and a little less disgusting. So hopefully on the horizon, there's going to be a bit more of it. And just real quick, this is me on my soapbox, put money behind those things. If you care about this and like, if you want to see more like people, like Hollywood, whatever responds to us putting our money at it. So like, Go to those movies, check out things. If you support what you care about, like if you if you care about stuff, whether it's whatever in media or products or whatever the case is, like it's really important to like keep sending the message to people who make stuff, produce stuff that you want more. Absolutely, yeah. and I would even add the other the other side of that is mm-hmm. don't support those things that have awful depictions. Yes, don't support those things. Save your money, keep your money for those other things like be selective yes. in what you view like be critical you know in what you view so sure. yes 100% what you're saying don't yeah. underestimate your influence on those things yes you're only one consumer but like when you put all the consumers together that's a huge thing and keep talking about it but yeah be really mindful about how you kind of use your money and your time and things like that shout out to social psych yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and I, I think just to add on to what you were also saying earlier, Jordan, just about the difference in the blackish and just kind of some of the more, I guess, for lack of better terms at the moment, traditional black TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't sure if this was an age thing, but as you were speaking, it kind of helped me confirm a little bit. And so when I was younger and watching like Fresh Prince and the Cosby show and things like that, like I would see it, I would get engaged with the episode. And it was like, I wouldn't really notice, you know, a lot behind just some of the addressing some of the issues that were going on in the world at that time. And then like as being older and like, you know, you go to Facebook and you see like small 15 second clips that have been buried in an episode, another uh, 25, 30 minute episode. And you see a 15 second clip and you say, oh, like Uncle Phil was talking about this all along or like such and yeah. such said this a long time ago. And I was like but I don't remember really engaging in those shows in that type of way. And so with this show, and again, like I was saying before, I couldn't tell if it was because I was younger when I was watching these shows or if it was really just because of this show. And again, listening to you just kind of speak on that as well, kind of helped me solidify uh, just my beliefs in this show. I just appreciate how much they attack it. They they, they, They don't back down from it. It's not some... 15 second clip that I'm going to look at 15 years down the line and say, oh, that's a new man. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the entire they're, first season. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're really entire getting into season. it. So yeah, they're, they're getting into it. My favorite, I think my my favorite episode of Blackish was after Trump was elected. Yeah. I know it's a Trump conversation is different for y'all way out there as opposed to you know, <laughs> over here. I'm just going to be on So, yep. so if yes, what I'm saying yes, causes a little bit of trouble for y'all, just let him <laughs> just give my contact information and I'll talk to him for you. Okay. You know, blame it on me. So so but Jordan, since, so right there, Jordan just override the producer, so none of this is on me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so my favorite episode was after Trump got elected, you know, the whole episode was talking about people's reaction to it, how it happened. People's hurt. People are, you know, some folks are happy. Some folks are like, oh, this is a win for bigotry and racism and sexism and homophobia. 
oh, this is a big loss for those of us who believe in social justice and yada, yada, yada. And the whole episode, you know, Dre's trying to get some work done. He's trying to get, he's doing some work, you know, for his job. The first time you actually see him trying to actually (laughs) get work done on on the job. And at the end of the episode, you start talking about, um, you know, Dre, they're coming at Dre about like, Dre, why aren't you fired up about this? He keeps trying to move the conversation to stuff about work, but you know when they get in that little thing, the little you know when four of them are sitting there talking about um, yeah. funny stuff on the job, like you know he's trying to actually do work, and so they're questioning him about why he's not talking about you know Trump and what this means, and you know and, and Dre's like, hey, this has been happening for years and years and years. Where you been? Mm-hmm. Where you been? I just got. I'm sorry. I gotta yeah. go back to work. I I don't know what y'all are upset about. This is not new for me. And I thought that was so powerful. You would never see anything like that. Yeah. I can't say ever. But it's highly unlikely mm-hmm. that you would ever see anything like that on those old shows. Like yeah. that was uh that was an indictment not only of of um I think Trump and and the culture and the the backlash that has created Trump, but also an indictment of I think of our you know response to it. Like we're responding, and I it was so proud. We're responding in a way that is where we are amazed and dumbfounded. Where you know they've been calling me a nigga for all of my life. Like that is just the world I exist in. And for Dre, it's like, of course, well, of course this happened. Of course this happened. Why are you surprised? Why are you surprised? So what am I gonna do? It's the same thing that black folks always do. We go back to work. We go back to work because that's all there is. And that why am I surprised? Yeah. Why am I surprised? I gotta, I gotta take care of my family. I'm not gonna get caught up in this stuff that I, you know, that's been happening for years and years just because you know white folks kind of just, oh man, can you believe it? Yeah. No, nah, bro, it's yeah. been happening. That yeah. kind of thing would never or would not have happened. It is unlikely it would have happened. That kind of message in those older shows. Absolutely. And even as you're talking about that, something came up to me because leading up to this episode. Those are the exact same things that Dre have been trying to drill in there for so long. And so now it's like, okay, now that someone, media, quote unquote, who has a more powerful, influential voice has said something about it. Oh, now you want to believe it. Now you want to take it seriously. Well, if you're listening to it, I'm going to give you the space to listen to it. But for now, like, this is my time to go back and do what I got to do to keep surviving. And so uh, I just, it's just weird to see it. I mean, weird, but yeah. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. It's terrible to see, like, just speaking in TV terms, it's been X amount of episodes where I've been telling you this, and it takes one moment for you to finally stop and say, Oh, the world's not right. And if welcome to I gotta go back to work. Yeah. Like, you know, you want to get stuck here, you get stuck here. I'm going back on I gotta get back on the job. Yeah. So and a few percentage points here and there, people would never have even talked about it after that. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So I know I did definitely have at least one more thing that I wanted to talk yeah. about. Uh, and I want to create some space for you guys if you guys want anything else. But uh, do you guys remember the episode where uh, Jack was performing at the talent show at school and he was singing Gold Digger? He was uh, singing Gold Digger. <laughs> I said the N word. <laughs> the, yeah. the school went crazy. Uh, parents came. They had that whole, uh, all that debacle. So, Jordan, that actually reminded me of uh, an event. I don't know if we ever openly discussed it or talked about it that uh, 
actually happened in your class whenever I was oh, gosh. So yeah, so remember we used to make us do that terrible, terrible exercise where we had to stand on one side of the room whether we agreed yes. with it. Yeah, yes. the worst exercise. I met my students do that, by the way. They hated it. Every bit as I hated it, they hated it too. So, and I, I remember one of the questions where, I can't remember exactly how it was worded, but it was something along the lines of, uh, could derogatory terms be used even if it's by uh, the group of people in which the, the term is about? And so I remember standing on the yes side, a bunch of other classmates standing on the no side. Um, I'm not going to say any names. I'm going to try to keep that confidential. Uh, if, I, if I screw up, I'm the producer, so I guess I can make it say what I wanted to say. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, rem I remember standing on the yes side and I remember talking about... Uh, it was right around between the times where I had came out with uh, two separate mixtapes. And I remember saying, yeah, like whenever I rap, like I say nigga a lot. And like, for me, it's just kind of whatever. And so like, this is at a place where I am first starting to kind of challenge myself in that way. And um, so, yeah, I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of whatever. Like, yeah, I probably shouldn't do it, but it's just kind of whatever. I, I just do it. And then I remember it was... Uh, it was some classmates who were like, uh, you know, I say it around my friends and like, they say it's okay. And I was like, no, we're like, like you're white. Like you can't do that. Like, don't do that. But anyways, uh, I remember after that class, one of the students had came up to me and she said, you know, whenever you kept saying that word in class, it made me feel really uncomfortable. And then I'm like, you know, me just soft hearted, Denzel, just kind of, I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like I didn't mean to offend you and da, 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 da. And like sitting where I am today, again, it's both a process and a goal, becoming the man who I am today, the person who I am today, looking back on that moment, I go, you know what? Like me knowing what that word means, knowing what appropriation is, knowing that from the stance that I take, there's no way that I can use that term to belittle another person in the sense of I don't have a hierarchical position over another person of color, another black person in that sense. And knowing what appropriation means to me, appropriation means to my culture, and knowing that I made someone uncomfortable from saying the N-word, it was just almost like I'm at a place of acceptance where, yes, I'm happy that person felt uncomfortable because they should have felt uncomfortable. And, like, that's not something comfortable that they should, like, that's not a word that should sit well with them. And so, like, look, look, looking back on it. It should feel good to you. Yeah. It so should like, feel good to you. So, so looking back on it, I'm like, what if they didn't say they were uncomfortable? Or what if they say, yeah, I'm glad you said it. And da, 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 da. And yeah. so like, I don't know, it feels good for me to be able to, I guess, come to terms and look back and see how much growth that I made from the beginning of my processes. Uh, just kind of relating it back to Jack and uh, the family and watching them go through their own processes and what that means and how they want to make sense of it. I don't know. We just, uh, again, celebrate the milestones don't be afraid to look the way you came from. See the growth that you made. Don't stop growing. And I don't know. It's a process and a goal. It's just that's something that uh, it's just a term or I guess a phrase that I've really come to mm -hmm. to embody and to enjoy lately. So, so, so just first before we before I even say anything else about this, let me just give a public service announcement to all the white folks that might be listening. Eric, everybody, all white people. Let me just say to you, it is never okay to use the N-word. 
It is never okay. It is not healthy for you. It doesn't it matter what your black friends say. It doesn't, yeah. Don't let your black friends get you in trouble by telling you that you can say that word. <laughs> Just, that'll get you in trouble. Just trust me on this. You don't get to say that word and you will have a much healthier and longer lasting life by not using <laughs> that word. So yes, say that. Yes. Um, yes. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I often have, I have arguments with my uh, black male friends um, about using this word. And I'm thinking about a particular friend that I argue with hardcore about, you know, but he says, no, nah, we should be using that word and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And you know what? I, 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 I hear his point. I think they are valid. I get why I, I it's not a good idea for me to use that word. And I, I'm going to use that word. And I use it liberally. Like I do. I yeah. do. It's just what I do. It's just a part of my language. I, I mean, I get that it's problematic. And I also get that it's my word to use. Um, but what I do say is that um, for those folks who have a conversation with me about it is, you know, that is that use of that word and whether or not we are we can say that is something that the black community gets to decide. Yeah. We get to have that debate. Mm-hmm. And people who are a part of that group get to have that debate. Now anybody outside of that group, you could be white, Latino, you could be Asian, you could be all sorts of stuff, but you don't get a say in that conversation. Yeah. That is for us to decide. In the same way that I will you'll never hear me say the B word when referring to a woman, you'll never hear me say the F word when referring to a person of the LGBTQIA community. You'll never get to, you'll never hear me use those words because that I'm not in that community and don't have any kind of, and I'm thinking about in a way that is, you know, I think about my use of the M word, that term of endearment connection kind of yeah. thing. Like, never catch me using <laughs> any other of those slurs that refer to other groups that I'm not a part of because I'm not a part of that group. I don't get to decide. Yeah, I don't get to decide. But you and and yeah, like you just you just won't get you won't ever hear me say that. But as far as the N word in terms of my group, yeah, yeah, yeah that's I'm, you're gonna hear me say it, and that's yeah. a conversation, an argument we're gonna have. But make no mistake, if you're not a part of the group, you don't get to say it. Yes, yeah. it's not fair. Yes, it's hypocritical. I don't care how you feel about it. That's just the way it is. And and no no loopholes either on any of those just, terms. A yeah. or E R, it doesn't matter. Yeah, don't, just, don't 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 look for the loopholes. Just don't, don't just go it. Just song, you can still get punched in the face. Yeah. Like just yeah. don't be don't get caught rapping it or singing it. Like it, that's it's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for sure. It, it, there was a, a video going around recently. Do you, did you see this? It was at a concert. The Kendrick Lamar concert. Yeah, it was Kendrick Lamar, and yeah. someone came on stage. I don't remember exactly what happened, but she said the N word in the song multiple times. Multiple times? Multiple times. Oh, I didn't hear that part. Yeah. And he corrected her. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a really good, um, you know, uh, experience for people to see that happen. And it wasn't um, uh, in a way that was uh, detrimental to her. It wasn't, she, he wasn't, like, shaming her in any way. Yeah. He was just kind of, like... Shut the club down, it. corrected it. Yeah, exactly. Got it back up in the running. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, just one point I wanted to, to be sure to touch on. And again, I don't think we ever had that conversation about that experience before, but uh, I wanted to thank you for just kind of being that catapult for me to just learn more about myself, learn and to wrestle with those things, learn how to love myself more, learn how to love my community more. 
And so I appreciate you and all the, the mentorship that you have given. <laughs> Continue to give. So oh, thank man. you for that, man. I appreciate that. That's very kind words. Yes, thank sir. You. Yes, sir. And I'm just trying to live in your world. I'm gonna become. I'm gonna come work for you soon. <laughs> I'm gonna come work for you. Okay, I'll be. Uh, I'll be big Doctor J, and you be little Doctor J. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> we can do it that. Is. I'm okay with that. We can do that. I ride your coattail. Gas me up. Gas me up. <laughs> this is beautiful to watch, by the way. I've been outside here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you guys have any? Uh... Final points or anything that you want to talk about? I had one more thing, but I wanted to leave it up. Uh, Jordan, if you got anything else that you wanted to... Uh, no, no, no. I'm good. I'm uh, good. Let's wrap up talking about the last bit of season four, just because it was so um, kind of strong and we started to see Dre and Bo's relationship kind of fray a little bit. And then it kind of got back to the other at the end. So what was your kind of reactions watching that? Because that was pretty... Um, I was pretty emotional watching it. Yeah. It was pretty intense. Yeah, it was hard. It was, uh, that was something that I cannot personally relate to. I've never, I've never, I'm not going to say my parents never have. I can't speak on their relationship, but I've never seen anyone that I've cared so much about come to a point that was like that close. Mm-hmm. And so to, to watch that was something like, oh man, uh, I really don't know how this is going to work out, and it's and it's really hard, especially how like I just can't turn off that therapist brain, right? And so like you can see these things as they're happening, you can see them before they happen, and you just go, "Oh man, like if you just do this so differently, like this could be so much better, mm-hmm. or if you just try this instead, and like this could be so helpful." <laughs> and to be on the outside watching that and knowing that, like Jordan was saying, these are real problems that real people deal with, and they mm-hmm. portrayed in such a way. It's just really difficult to watch someone fall down that hole when you feel like you may have an answer (laughs) and that answer may be great for you. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to talk about when I'm behind the mirror watching, doing supervision and watching clients and I'm saying therapists could do this or therapists could do that. It's really easy when it's not you and you're not involved in it. But to, 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 to watch that, and to try to to just sit with that emotionally and mm-hmm. just watch it and just, just tear apart slowly, yeah. like not it's not it, it was not a quick band aid. They didn't no. they didn't try to to like ease our anxiety about it and to just watch that slowly happen. It was mm-hmm. I definitely took a lot of cool down periods and watching those last couple of episodes. And like, yeah, I it just, was a slow like, motion training. I would go to bed and like I was like, okay, I can't watch Blackish before I go to sleep anymore. Because I like, know, <laughs> that, yeah, it, it hurt. There was there was no point. There were no n- not trying to help you feel better. About yeah, it. No. yeah, not trying to help you feel better. That was my experience. Yeah, uh, I kept waiting for something to happen or for like I was having the same experience with you. I was just like Dre, just just do this or Bo, just say this, like just. That's all you have to do. and <laughs> Or I can tell you're really trying to say yeah, something that's exactly. important and it's you right really there. And there. if you could just get it out. But And there were so many hard. times where something like came together, like when Junior gave his speech and the whole family came together and then they fought like right after that. You're just like, yeah. it built you up a little bit and then it was just like, oh, we're right back where we started. And sure. it was, it, they really did an amazing job like pulling on your heart a little bit. Yeah. What do you think, Jordan? What do you got, Jay? Yeah, man. It was, it was, uh, it was difficult. It's been difficult to watch. Um, it's just difficult. 
it is it is like I was saying, there's no opera they they're all they are showing the realness of it. Mm-hmm. And again, why I appreciate the show, why I love seeing this regular black couple go through this. I know it's kind of sadistic in a weird way, but I do. I love seeing this regular black couple go through this, you know, normal, um, you know, couple issues. And so, but it, but it is, it's tough to watch and you got to take those cool downs, man. And I, I, Mm. one of the things I was thinking and, and, you know, like I said, can't turn the therapist's brain off is, you know, it's one of those things you see oftentimes and, you know, couples who are, who have been together about that long, who have had, who have kids that are getting older and more independent. And all of a sudden you, you, you know, when your kids are young, they need all of your attention. And that takes several, several years to get through. And all of a sudden you grow up, you, you many years have passed, you're a much different person than you used to be. And trying to get to know a partner again is difficult. Like, it's so all you see that it's like, it's gotta be hard for them with the girl going off to school and junior getting mm-hmm. bigger and um, Diane and what's the other one's Jack, name? Diane and Jack. Jack. Diane and Jack, <laughs> you know, are, are independent, you know, they don't mm-hmm. need help. And then, the, but then you also have the dynamic of the new baby. Yeah. Like, and it's all kind of happening at one time. And it's just, just a, it is, it's tough. It's tough. You, you've got to, you're, you're relearning who your partner is. Yeah. And, you know, re, you know, I'm sure Bo is relearning what it's like to be a mother of a child that small. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's a, and, and, and all those years pass and people are just bound to be different anyway. So it just, it's, I think a lot of that came together, you know, at the end of the fourth season, you get to kind of witness that. And it was, that made it tough. Like it is the, like that right there, what they're trying to get through. That's the work in a relationship. That's yeah. the work. That is the work right there. Yeah. So, question. Let's say, so I know they, they did uh, couples counseling and mm-hmm. maybe one or two episodes at some point. There, yeah. Let's say let's say Dr. Jordan, their therapist, they're coming in. Let's say they've seen you two, two sessions, two, three sessions. Uh-huh. What are you guys working on? What are, what are you telling them? What are you trying to help them with? Just right now, you're doing my job better than me. I just want you to know that. <laughs> you're hosting better than I am. That's a great question. Well, I, I appreciate it. I uh, I am quite the Renaissance man. <laughs> Cook, clean, build things, putting in that plug again. But uh, yeah, Doctor Jordan. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what? Honestly, man, I'm I'm wanting them to get to know each other again, and to get to know the things that they think they know already about their partner. There's this, that one powerful scene where they're talking about the um, kitchen. And they're trying to uh, like guess what the other's favorite color is, and get like you know, and then they're you know lobbing the bombs at each other, talking about oh you didn't keep up on the dishes, or oh you've never done a dish in your life, kind of thing. And one of yeah, I think she like was it Bo guesses that Dre's favorite color is green or something, and it's not. Yeah, because he has all those jackets that are green. Yeah, Yeah. like and so. So, so I would want them to, like, I'd be really trying to get to know them and have them get to know each other again mm-hmm. and, and talking about the ways in which they've changed as they've gotten older and as they've kind of grown as grown in their relationship, grown as parents, grown as people, you know, like what, who are they now? And really spend not, I'm not trying to do too much. I'm not trying to go crazy, but I just want them to know each other. 
That would yeah. be what I'm working on. Okay. And they're not in a space, I think. I think with all that ruthless passive aggressiveness that they have going, Oof, they're yeah. not in a space, I think, to have difficult conversation. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so we just start with who are you? That's what I'm doing. Okay. That's yeah. what I'm doing. I like it. I like it. What about you, man? Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones. Ah. I think similar. I think uh, so I echo everything that you said. I think if I can get, I guess, more specific in how I would make that look in the room in the sense of I would want this to, in a way, be for me to get to know them, but I would be really intentional about making sure when they're talking, when they're saying stuff, when they're asking questions, that they're doing it to each other and not to me. Because like you were saying, they're trying to get to know each other again. I don't want to be this, uh, okay, you ask me a question, and then uh, I'm going to tell you about this. And then I'm going to turn to your partner and tell you what I just heard. I think they're in the place to where they need to talk to each other about these things and really learn who each other is and to connect with each other. And of course, I would interject, moderate, mediate, however I would need to be, and sure, what that sure, would look sure. like. But I think it's really important that they hear it from each other. I feel that. Mm-hmm. What about you, Eric? And this might, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying, and I probably would start there, but I'm thinking about like that example you gave about like what color is his favorite color. And I remember how dejected he looked when she was wrong. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, in a relationship you've been with for a while, a lot of times a couple might be like, no, that's not my favorite color and just kind of move on. Because I'm really curious about the significance of that and like how, what was it like for him to like, for her to be wrong or for her not to know his favorite color and get in touch with that idea. And I'm very curious about like taking it a step further, like, and looking at each other and okay, so this is how you felt in that situation. How would you like to feel with your partner? How would you like your partner to feel around mm-hmm. you? And, and 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 vice versa for Bo as well. So not just thinking about like, yes, you felt really bad in that situation. How would you like to feel? But also how would you like, what kind of feelings do you want your partner to have about you? So and how do you start taking concrete steps things to get there? more meaningful? In a yeah, way. yeah, yeah. I feel that. So where do you see these uh, these two going in the future? I'm gonna give this uh, this assist to Jordan, let him start this one off. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the relationship, where do I see it going? Yes. Um. Well, you know, because it's a show, I think they'll try, and they're making money off of it. I think they'll try, you know, keep together. That's what I'm I'm gonna give it to Jordan. They're making too much money to stop the show right now. But I think um, if this were a couple, like I, I genuinely be concerned for their future. But if I know that if they had a history like Bo and Dre have, yeah. and all that Bo and Dre have shared, I think there's so much. That you know, so much good that you can draw on and good memories yeah. that I think that you can use that to spark future work. Now, it appears it appears that um, there there have been those kind of major, I think, attachment injuries between the two of them mm-hmm. over time that have been, you know, just ugly 
ugly. And there's definitely, if you're thinking about it in terms of Gottman stuff, there's a lot of that contempt going on in their relationship, particularly in that scene we were just talking about. But I, I do think that they have a lot to draw on. I think they have a lot to draw on, man. And I, I would I would be, I think, with their history, I would feel hopeful and, and can be hopeful yeah. about their relationship. Mm-hmm. More hopeful than, than others. I think the biggest thing was at the end of the season when they're in therapy after they've kind of reconciled a little bit, um, talking about the fact that they're not done and they need to keep working, I think is a really good sign. I think that yeah. that's a kind of scene that they didn't have to do. They could have just done the TV thing and said like, oh, they reconciled, everything's better. But to acknowledge the fact that, yes, they've reconciled a little bit, but like they have so much work to do and kind of keep working on it. And the fact they're willing to do that for each other, that right. gives me the hope. Yeah. I'm with you. This is uh, highlighting just those exceptions, those unique outcomes. And I think uh, John Legend said it best, taking it slow. They, uh, working with that couple, that's not going to be a six sessions and you're out of here. Definitely uh, taking the time, which is something I could say when I was a more novice therapist and my own identity idea of what a therapist should look like and how progress should look, all those shoulds again. Uh, I know this is a podcast about scholarship and all, but uh, for any therapist clinicians who may be listening as well, knowing that the, the hair doesn't always win the race. And in this case, this is a prime example of taking it slow, being very intentional about what you're doing. Um, allowing them the space to do the work that they need to do is really important. Yeah. Do you want to sing us out with John Legend? <laughs> you sure you want that? Well, I can, I'll, I'll drop the... <laughs> Remember, ladies, elevatepodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Yep. <laughs>